Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Donna Lowry with GPB Lawmakers, and I'm filling in today for Bill Nygut. Thanks for joining us. A reminder that you can log on to GPB News, our Facebook page. We hope you're watching right now. You can not only hear us there, but you can also see us, and we'll monitor your comments there. You can also comment on our Facebook page, our Twitter page, I should say, at Politics GPB. So let's meet our guests. I'm really excited about the show today. James Salser, thanks for being here. You and I have worked together for a long time, right. long time state government and politics reporter for the AJC. Thanks for having me. And you know the budget better than anybody, so we're going we're gonna to really dive in with you. Senator Harold Jones II is here from yes. Augusta. You are from Augusta, but you're a member of the Rules Committee. Yes. Judiciary and public safety. That's great. So and we're economic gonna, development. And economic development. Yes. We're going to get into that a little bit more. Okay. Next to you is Taifa Smith-Butler. Thanks at first time meeting you. Glad yes. you're here. President and CEO of the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. And Thank your you. group has a mission that focuses on economic opportunity. Yes. And you're a think tank that focuses a lot on trying to get people people into jobs, too, right? A part little bit the, of that. Part of the part story. Of, part yes. of that. <laughs> and then. And then somebody I've worked with uh, for a long time, especially with education, Representative Dave Belton of Buckhead, Georgia. The real Buckhead, the Georgia. The real Buckhead. <laughs> uh, member of House Appropriations Committee, so we're glad you're here. But also with education and a few other committees. So you and I have worked together a lot with education. So thanks, for all, all of you, for being here. Let's get right to it. The House passed the mid-year budget yesterday that restores some of, the, some of Governor Kemp's proposed cuts came back with all of that. And James, I know you've been following this all along and from the beginning. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I'm glad we're like a fourth of the way there. A fourth. Yeah, because yeah. the Senate's got to pass it, and then um, they have to pick up the 2021 budget. Um, yeah, so, so the, the, the House uh, and the Senate at the same time have uh, held hearings for most of the last month um, and heard from agency directors and people who will be affected by the cuts. And, um, you know, they, they expressed a lot of concern about a lot of different areas. It would, like, take all day to go through, you know, the areas. But it obviously— It did take a while, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> line so, by line. So, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the big kind of takeaways um, were uh, restoring some of the— um, um, money that would be cut from like mental health, substance abuse programs, a, a number of vacant positions uh, that they deemed to be, the House deemed to be important enough to not just give up the job. A food safety inspector was one I, I know just caught people's eyes like, right. what? We're going to have, you know, fewer right. food you know, inspections at, at grocery stores and, you know, 7-Elevens and whatnot. And GBI Crime Lab was another area that, that um, you know, we've we've had a long-standing problem of, of having backlogs on rape kits, and we have you know more DNA testing than we know what to do with. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so, the idea of cutting scientists and and lab techs, you know, just seemed counterintuitive. So there's there's just but there's a whole long behavioral list of health that was a big behavioral issue. Yeah, a lot a lot of things with that. 
Um, Representative Belton, you're, you're in House Appropriations. Give us a, an idea of what the last week or so has been like for you guys. Well, it's been really tough. Uh, we've had to go through hundreds of hours, really, of looking line by line, trying to find some savings. We did a lot of that uh, in the Public Safety Appropriations uh, Committee, which I'm on, trying to minimize the impact of um, the, the fact that most Georgians and try to be most efficient with our resources we possibly can and also try to you know leverage our our resources, especially in the ag extensions. You, you talked about that, James, a little bit, and accountability courts. We get a lot of uh, accountability courts specifically. We, we feel like we get $7 out of every dollar we spend. And, and the same thing with the ag extension, which actually goes into the science of agriculture. I don't know if you knew this, Donna, but uh, we have the farmers today feeds 155 people. And back in 1950s, it only fed 14 people. So we're the farmers today are, are doing a lot of great work because of the science of farming. It's actually quite a, uh, it's a hard thing to do, and, and, and they're doing a great job. And if they weren't doing that great job, we couldn't be feeding the world like we are. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we're, we're going to show I have um, a little sound in a minute with uh, the Appropriations Chair England in a minute. But I want to get to you, Taifa, a little mm -hmm. bit and your thoughts on on the, the cuts that were restored that the governor had wanted. Yeah, I think it was fascinating to see sort of this competing priorities conversation, especially in the last couple of years where we've made slow investments since the recession to improve behavioral health and children's mental health and making those investments. So to see the House sort of hold the line, and, and I heard Chairman England say some of these cuts are regressive. They take us back. And so we appreciated the sort of lessening of the cuts for behavioral health, for public health, which, you know, we all know that the county infrastructure is sometimes the only game in town to provide health care for Georgians. So we were pleased to see that. But I, I really want to make sure we understand the broader context of how we got here. And everyone that we talked to and one of my teammates texted me this morning, everyone in the community is like, how did this happen? Right. And so I just want us to be clear, because I think the, the narrative James and I was talking about this morning about sort of the Hurricane Michael and its impact in 2018. But, you know, early 2018, we, be, we passed a legislation to cut the income tax, um, which is 51% of our budget, right? And so that cut, in addition to uh, increased spending uh, to improve teacher salaries, that pressure has created the situation we're in. Cutting the income tax, upward pressure on some of the investments that we want to make in terms of paying people, and also Hurricane Michael. I think those three things have created sort of this scenario of the cuts. Yeah, and we were gonna we have a uh, sound from Chairman England on on Hurricane Michael in particular, and let's run that right now, and then we can talk to you, Senator Jones. I feel that it is important as we continue to to pull out of the trough of Hurricane Michael. Uh, depressed commodity prices and and what we've seen with some of the uh, trade wars going on that it's important to continue to support our number one industry in this state and that being agriculture. Right. So Senator Jones, I, I want to get your comments on, on what you've heard. So we're hearing we're hearing more of a push toward that and less of the, the state income tax cut from a few years ago. Well, those are things that Obviously, it can happen when you have a hurricane or something of that nature. But the key thing is, was the income tax cut, which some of the some on the other side, on the Democratic side, actually voted against, and I was one of those that did that. Because when you start placing holes in the budget of that way, we have to understand that we have to have to pay for services. We always talk about being number one state for business, and that is a good thing. 
But business also relies on paying for services. It relies on education. It relies on good roads. It relies on good infrastructure. So those are things that we also have to be adamant about also paying for. So one of the kind of concerning things about yesterday was not only saying that the main concern may be Hurricane Michael, but also some of the talk about continuing now to cut taxes again. That also was very concerning. And let's talk about that because James has a front page story on the AJC today about that. And you're hearing that from the speaker and from Chairman England that they want to push through this promised Cut. Right, and there was, and there's, they aren't the only ones, but they're okay. the, the the face of those cuts. the The other element of of the the original tax cut that that I think we forget is um, Governor Deal uh, in 2018 said let's let's not do this right now because right. we don't know what the impact will be. We don't know if we're going to get it, you know the size of windfall from the federal uh, income tax uh, cut or not. Um, so that also, may, you know, I, I've also heard economists say we didn't get the the benefit of that, um, like we of the feder- right at the federal tax. That's right. So so that kind of uh, maybe um, added to the five hundred million dollars or so that you were going to lose that they knew that that you know the legislature knew they were going to lose or those who voted for it um, from um, the first income tax cut. So. It Which was, was five point seven five percent in right. twenty eighteen. It was six to five point seven five, and okay. this would get the next one would go five point seven five to five point five, and it right. it, it kind of depends how they structure it, but um, um, but it was it was just an in- interesting juxtaposition that you just got done past you know uh, a month long uh, hand wringing of of the various things that right. the governor wanted to cut in the budget. You passed the budget in which you mitigated clearly some of the things that you thought were the worst uh, or the most devastating uh, cuts. And then immediately you go to, oh, and by the way, we're going to cut taxes, which uh, no matter how you do it, it's going to be less revenue again. Taifa, I know you want to jump in here. Yeah, I I mean, I just the math does not work at the end of the day. With the first cut, we lost $550 million to the base, in addition to increasing teacher salaries and improving state employees' salaries. So that base is new, and that base has to be sustained. And then to come back now and then suggest or consider an additional cut, which are based on our calculations could be upwards of $615 million uh, eroding of the base. Where, you know, if, you know, I think in Georgia, we have to decide the state that we want to be. We right now uh, in 2019 were 50th when it came to spending per person since the recession. So our budget has not grown. We are 48th in the country when it comes to state spending and taxes and per person. So we are a low tax state. We are not investing, and we talk about wanting to improve rural infrastructure and all these things, but we're, we're not willing to pay for it. And to consider another tax cut at this moment in time when the first income tax has already shown us that we have created a slowing in our economy, to do it again, I think, would be a failure. Representative Belton, I know you, you were part of all of this last week, and your feelings about this. Sure. Wait, obviously, we cannot do the teacher pay raise and the income tax and the taxes cuts. We can't do all three of those. So we're going to have to do some kind of compromise. But I, I, when you say that you're 50th in the nation in, 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 in spending per person, that's a good thing. It means we're, being, we're a lean government. We're, uh, we're, we're doing – we're not – I'd rather have the, the money in the taxpayer's pocket than in the government's pocket. So that, 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 I like talking about that. <laughs> All right. Uh, Senator Jones? 
Yeah, well, if you look at it, if you start talking about persons make between maybe forty, eighty thousand dollars. That money in a person's pocket may be about four or five hundred dollars. But now, if you make over about two hundred and fifty thousand, that money in a person's pocket is about five thousand dollars. So there's a difference there. But also, you know, when you start talking about um, we've had like the largest budget or things of that nature. That's because we're a growing state. But also when you're a growing state, you have a lot of persons who are coming here who also have needs and need services. It's not necessarily a badge of honor to say that you're at 50 on spending, but at the same time you're in the middle of education. At the same time, your poverty level is higher than maybe the national average. So those things, you want to balance that out. You don't want to just say we're 50 in spending, but at the same time we have a higher poverty level. Or at the same time, you know, a lot of our education is still kind of flat. That's not a good thing. So we need to try to balance that out. Be lean on spending, that's fine, but at the same time, let's make sure we provide services to our people. That's yeah. the thing that, that, that um, I think People, I think it was was shocking to people when they when you say I'm going to cut the you know X programs um, is that we have traditionally had very conservative uh, legislators running the appropriations committees and I mean Chairman England in the, in the House and and Chairman Hill in the Senate are <laughs> are not. You know, are not walking around throwing you know hundred dollar bills at people. I mean, they're they're very right. they're very, and they and they you know study the economy, and they study uh, tax revenue month by month, you know, all year long. And so it's uh, it's not. I think it's then when you come back. I think it's one of the I think probably shocked to the system a little bit that you passed a budget in would have been March or April of last year. And the governor, three or four months later, says, oh, by the way, what you just did, we got to take $500 million out of it. Um, and and you, if, you know the, if you know the players involved, you're just like, uh, well, you know, if they had $500 million, those people probably would have taken it out, you know, during the session. But I want to say, you know, the budget is growing. It's not like the budget's going down. We, it's just not growing as much as we thought right. it was. We expected to spend $27.5 billion dollars. And now we're going to spend 27.38, but that's still a 1.7% $450 million increase. So it's the, it's the difference between $450 million increase to $609 million increase. So it's, the budget is growing, and next year it's going to go to 28.1. Right, but, but a big percentage of that is is enrollment growth in schools and right. Medicaid. I mean, Which huge is a great story. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful that we're finally funding QBE. And our, our education scores are the best they've ever been, ever, in Georgia. Uh, the, the graduation rate's best it's ever been. The AP scores the best it's ever been. The, uh, the NAEP, the, 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 the nation's scorecard for K-12. Our African-American AP, we're third in the nation. That's amazing. We're doing great stuff in education. And then yesterday we heard also that we are doing okay as an as an economy overall in Georgia. And so th this is where I want to get Minority Leader um, Bob Trammell's bite in. I want to have the, bite his sound in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using TV turns. His sound. <laughs> I'm using sound bites. But his um, his sound in where he was on the floor yesterday and he voted against it and it was 126 to 46. But let's hear what he had to say about these cuts. The $159 million that we're about to cut in this supplemental budget aren't just dollars and cents. They have names. And they live in each and every one of our districts. And if we haven't heard from those constituents yet, you can bet in the next year we'll hear from them. 
And the question will be, why did we have to cut when times were so good? And Taifa, I wanted you to talk about this. He also talked about the rainy day fund and said, uh, some say it's not rainy. He said the roof is the leaking. The roof is leaking. They actually <laughs> leaking. Right. Um, we had this question yesterday from another reporter about, you know, whether we would take a position on using the rainy day fund. And you think about the amount of cuts that the House is mitigating, the $210 million that the governor suggested, the House changed it to 159 And, you know, with a nearly $3 billion reserve, you know, you would think that we could use that. But I believe um, one-time usage might be fine, but long-term, the question is, or the answer is, we need new revenue. I mean, I think, you know, when we, when we talk about a potential tax cut uh, that's pending, or even the one that was just passed, that we need to be honest about who's going to bear the brunt of that tax cut. Um, most of the benefit of that tax cut that's being considered right now, 76% of the folks are making over $100,000 a year. So middle class, low income families will not benefit from that tax cut. So let's be honest about, you know, where... Um, the people who are paying taxes, again, at the higher income level, will be the ones who benefit from that tax cut for the most part. But what we're seeing, especially in the compelling testimony, is families who depend on the services from mental health, from education, those are the families that are saying we need these services, we need the government to continue to invest to make sure that our quality of life is good in our state. And so I think that's the decision we have to make. Pass a tax cut that would largely benefit those at the top of the income ladder versus making sure we have good, strong infrastructure and services that, by and large, most Georgians would benefit from. And Senator Jones, right. the Senate looks at this next. So what, what are you... What are you expecting? That's exactly right. As far as uh, the midterm budget that came out, we're basic, normally um, we'll engross that, so there will be very few changes. There won't be any changes at all, quite, quite frankly. I think you'll probably see uh, a lot of Democrats taking the stance that um, Leader Trammell also took. I know that I probably will. You know, when we start talking about services, there's nothing wrong with services. I tell people all the time, you should ask your government for services. Everyone that's in that gold dome today is asking for government services. Every single person is asking, how can the government help them advance? Whether it's business or any other type of structure, that's what they're doing. Our regular citizens, our average citizens should not have any hesitation to also say, we want mental health services. We want to make sure accountability courts are funded. We want to make sure that our police are basically able to be funded because they don't have to take cuts and things of that nature. That's exactly what they ought to be saying. And so when we start talking about services for our average citizens, no one should take a back seat to that because every single person that has all those people running around up there, they're asking for services. Yeah. So we have the mid-year budget, which ends at the yes. end of June. And then we've got the, the same cuts, that 4 percent at least, will, will stay there. Then another 2 percent on top of that. So what are we thinking in terms of whether or not we'll see that take place. What do you think, James? Well, in I, mean, terms we're of gonna, I mean, you're, you're going to have, it, it's going to take place because the governor hasn't raised the raise revenue estimate. So, right. the, you know, you, it you will take place. The, you know, the big question um, obviously is, um, are we going to, you know, who's going to get the pay raise? Right. Somebody's going right. to get a pay raise. I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't have think there's any doubt that somebody in there is going to get a pay raise. But the question is, who's going to get the pay raise? How much is it going to be? And, um, that's the that's I think in the in the 21, 2021 budget that's the kind of the big issue because a lot of the um, a lot of the cuts um, that were in the the governor's proposal just carry over right. into okay. the into the next year and a lot of them are uh, vacant positions so the house uh, decided you know these are important vacant positions that we need to fill 
um, they're going to um, not, you know, suddenly decide next year you don't have to have them. And the other thing I think is that um, the House, uh, in several of the subcommittees, um, there was discussion that, you know, one of the reasons these positions are vacant is because their pay is lousy. It's, it's and terrible, so, right? you know, if right. you have, if you have juvenile justice, yeah, but if you have juvenile justice right. guards making $27,000 a year and they have 100% turnover, which means they have to train people every, you know, every time somebody leaves, you know, that's that's tough. That's tough to run an agency like that. Yeah. When I'm sorry, Donna, when uh, Commissioner Taylor, Mark Butler, rather, uh, the labor commissioner talked about most of our state employees are at 40 at the 40th percentile. So we are have many of our state employees have borne the brunt of, through the recession, even from furloughs, from salary freezes. And uh, we were in Athens last fall talking to folks, the, the mayor and other leaders, and to see so many state employees in Athens eligible for benefits themselves is just unacceptable, right? So I think, you know, if we are going to invest in our state employees, you know, whether it be teachers or whether it be those others on the front lines, we need new revenue to be able to support that. Yeah. And that we're focusing a lot on the teachers, but I'm glad you guys are talking about the others. And and we know that it's popular for the teacher raises because the, the UGA study that showed that 88 percent of the respondents were in favor of the teacher raises over a tax cut. Representative Belton. So I agree with that. We have to do the t- teacher pay raise. We got to get that done. Certainly, uh, there you know it's possible to be a compromise between the two of those of those things. But I do want to rec- you know talk about the fact that we have put the money back into the healthcare. We have put money back in the libraries, public defenders, accountability courts, mm-hmm. the GBI investigations for the the rape kits and all the other evidence out there, and especially for ag extensions and um, the research. So I think at the 6% level for the 2021 budget, I believe that was about 300 million cuts. If the lawmakers are going to propose this additional rate cut, that's an additional 600. So that cut has to happen now if they're proposing that now or later. So there will be even deeper cuts if we don't come up with alternatives. And the deeper the cut, the harder it is. You know, the, the low-hanging fruit is, is gone. So that, that that's, for, right. that's for sure. I have to say, though, the, the, the uh, Iris story um – I think it was our, it was maybe the first week or second week of the session where I said, you know, um, and there were people that are not happy with it because I said, you know, you, you could do the, the rate cut. You could just say it doesn't go into effect until, you know, 2021 or 2022. Um, and then you don't and then you, you know, kicking the can down the road of what you're actually going to do. Yeah. Right. I, Winston Churchill says a politician is a guy who has to predict the future. And then when the future doesn't occur, you have to explain why the future didn't occur. But, <laughs> but the way he was actually right about the whole time. So it, it's tough. I mean, yeah. you predicting the economy is like predicting the weather. It doesn't always work out exactly what you want it to. That Hurricane Michael, it was a $25 billion hurricane. It was a Cat 5, the worst hurricane to ever hit the, the panhandle. So that was $2 billion worth of crops that were destroyed. That's a lot of money. Yeah, but thinking about that in the, uh, you know, we could always have something like that happen again, given and thinking about a tax cut too. Well, let me tell you uh, that we have a two point eight billion dollar rainy day fund. That's amazing. We were down to like a couple hundred million. About hundred million. So, you know. Yeah, Leader Trammell brought that up. So okay, very yeah. good. Okay, so no, we we oh, we, no. we 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 <laughs> heard done. him talk about that. So yeah, we know that late rainy day fund. There, he said the the roof but is the leaking. But the economy is great. Right. You know, the economy is doing well. The unemployment's right. record lows. So what, the, what they're talking about is not a cut. It's just we're not growing as fast as we thought we would. Right. 
and the, and the you know the, the number sounds great of the rainy day fund, but if you remember the Great Recession, right. that was gone. We I think we had like one point five or one point seven, which probably is I guess equivalent <laughs> of two today, and that was gone like that. I mean, you had to cut eighteen percent, I believe, and so um, the I, I think that's probably in the back of the mind of House and Senate leaders is that. Um, you really can't, I mean, you can, but it's probably not prudent to touch that because we're not in a recession. if we get in a recession, <laughs> boy, that goes fast. Okay. And it's, that's a month's worth of uh, running state government, essentially. I also want to just make a note, too, about we, we keep talking about how good the economy is and unemployment is low. But when we look at middle income and low income families, wages are stagnant or going backwards. And most of the growth is happening to those who are making more. So, again, let's think about how tax cuts might impact those. Um, who are already stretched um, in terms of their own incomes. And if we do want to go home in 2018, and we know this is an election year and we get special in an election year, let's think about a tax cut for those at the bottom, which a state EITC will be one of those options if lawmakers want to give a tax break to somebody. Well, I know this is a great discussion. We could talk about the budget the entire hour, but when we want to get to some other things. So let's take a quick break right now. And when we return, I want to talk about some non-budget issues, including a bill that could involve guns, but doesn't actually mention guns in the legislation. So you're listening to Political Rewind on GPB. We're back in one minute. Welcome back to Political Rewind. I'm Donna Lowry with GPB Lawmakers, and I'm filling in for Bill Nygut today. We have three, I have three guests now. Um, uh, Taifa Smith-Butler had to go, but uh, we have wonderful guests who can talk a lot about the issues we're going to get into. James Salser with the AJC, Senator Harold Jones, and Representative Dave Belton. Thanks for sticking around. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank thank you, you for that. So what some may consider one of the most... Um, consequential pieces of gun legislation right now before the legislature is this um, one that doesn't even include the word firearms. Any mention of it, HB 784, for those who care about those kind of numbers, uh, it would allow school boards to actually talk about their school safety plans, which is good, but to do it in private so that nobody else hears what's going on. And that's in that sense, it's good in that you don't want the public to know every single detail of your school safety plan. But the fact that it's in public and private means that people may not, that there's a possibility that the school boards could decide that teachers could carry guns, could have guns in the classrooms. And, and I think the, the vote is also not in the open. Right. The vote would correctly. not be in yeah. the open, and we wouldn't know any of the specifics, including the fact that they may not right. be able to actually, uh, that they may have guns in the schools, and we wouldn't know about that. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, if I was, if, if, I, I would think parents would not, at, some, at least some parents would not like that idea, would yeah. not, would, would want to know. Well, I know Jim Galloway with your with the AJC was in touch with somebody who was a parent who lost a child at right. um, uh, Marjorie Stoneman right. Douglas yeah, right. School. And, and she's on the school board and said, I want transparency, but I also get right. it. So right. it's really a tough one, yeah. don't you think? Yeah. It sure is. I mean, we always talk about local control. You know, a couple of years ago, we gave local school boards the ability to arm certain people in, in the schools if they wanted to. Um, I talked to the author, Chairman Eddie Lumsden, great guy. He's actually law enforcement, and his intention was, you know, if we talk about um, school safety programs, when you talk about 
security. You don't want to do that in the open because then the bad guys know exactly what you, you've planned. So the intention of this bill was to make sure the bad guys don't find out what's, what your security plans were. So I know he's taking a hard look at this right now. Well, he's he's spent three decades, I gather, as uh, on with the state patrol. So That's he right. knows this, um, Representative Lumsden. What are your... It, cer- it certainly is a balancing act that has to take place. At the same time, you don't want necessarily the whole plan to be out. But it is a legitimate question to say, well, who in the classroom actually has a weapon in the class? And I can understand parents want to know that, too. So we'll we'll have to see where that one goes. Let's talk about something something else. Um, a narrowly divided Georgia House Committee on Tuesday passed House Bill 888, and I'll give these numbers for people who care about them because there are people who are really into the numbers. Oh, yeah. um, it aims to reduce, and this is this is an issue that's even big in my household: me, surprise medical bills um, for people with individual insurance plans, and it would stop all types of unexpected large medical bills that are out there that the um, but letting people know that what they want to do is, I guess, set up a network where you can go online and find out whether somebody is in your network. Of course, who's going online when it's an emergency, right? right. So I wanted to, to get your thoughts. Apparently, it was a pretty close vote to come out of the, the committee. Yeah. You may want to speak on the House. We also yeah. have a pending one also right. in the Senate that's also basically the same bill. Um, I think our position so far has been one of support, um, but it is a major issue along with actually Medicaid expansion, when we start talking about surprise billing, when a person goes outside of their network and all of a sudden they have these type of bills that come in. So it's an issue that we need to address as the state. There are some questions about it. But I think overall, overall, I think we probably should go forward with it as a first step, as a start. Yeah, well, this is big for the governor. So I, I know he really wants this. And, and it is shocking when you think you've paid your bill and then these bills come in from all of these Absolutely. different the anesthesiologists, different people that you didn't even consider. Yeah, but you, you know, you also have that with, I understand it's, it, this is specifically about um, if you go out of network. Right. But if I'm in network and I go have a physical or I have, I have some treatment, I, I, there's almost no time that I don't get a bill a month later from somebody that I didn't know. Right. <laughs> that, I didn't, that I didn't see um, because... Uh, because the insurance company didn't want to pay, you know, what what the the provider was charging or whatever. So it, it's like a bigger issue, I think, than just if you're out of network. Because you can be in network and still get billed a lot of money. Yeah, and then we should say this is for private insurers. It's not for the um, the employer insurers. Right. And this bill's been in the works for about six years by Chairman uh, Richard Smith, who's now the rules chairman. So he's got a lot of very, very important in, uh, people behind it. Yeah. And I think everyone wants transparency, and we have to reduce health care costs. We just have to do that. But it's, it's a, like the ultimate difficult thing to do because you have such big moneyed interests involved in it, um, and and nobody wants to give up, you know, I mean, which is true in any industry, but in particularly big industries like this, nobody wants to give up a dime. So it is, it's really got to be hard to try to negotiate. And that's why it's taken six years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes this year, you know, as we've got it, we've got the bills on on both houses. Uh, Let's change gears a little bit now and and, uh, talk about another bill that deals with, that was passed out of a House committee on Tuesday, HB 847. Um, Police across Georgia would be empowered to arrest people for possession of small amounts of green leafy substances. It could be marijuana, it could be hemp, but they don't know. And the uh, illegal marijuana, uh, legal hemp, 
and uh, the violators could face up to uh, you're in jail, $1,000 fine for possession, the same penalty as with the misdemeanor um, misdemeanor marijuana. What are we thinking, Senator, Senator I think, Jones? <laughs> I think we're thinking that's going to be um, a lawsuit waiting to happen, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's where we're heading. I would be very hesitant to do that. And so what happened was, of course, there a lot of jurisdictions when we determined that we couldn't tell the difference. A lot of jurisdictions said we're not going to prosecute basically misdemeanor uh, marijuana because we don't have the test to do that. And so therefore, uh, I and our jurisdiction, Augusta, basically took the same tack. And I think it's a, it's, it's a very dangerous road, quite frankly, to get on because, um, number one, we ought to be talking about marijuana reform anyway. And then secondly, uh, to actually start talking about arresting persons, hopefully, the, hope, I would hope this, if, if it passes, that the persons are not actually arrested because they can be given a ticket and then just come back to court but not actually be arrested the way they have to post bond. Give them a ticket where they can come back to court and then hopefully by then we have some type of test that can determine it. But if we start depriving persons of liberty, it's for even on that initial part, that's going to be extremely problematic. And I just think that it's an area we really shouldn't be wading into. Yeah, and what they're talking about is actually having anybody, like a hemp farmer, actually have paperwork with them the whole time to prove that right. this is so what you're arresting this is. someone for carrying a legal substance, Correct. which yeah. is like, yeah, yeah that's, probably that's unconstitutional. Right. So, well, you no thoughts on don't, that? Don't let it come <laughs> out. Stay, stay clear. <laughs> way away from that one. Yeah, I'm not playing. <laughs> the other thing that we're hearing a lot about down at the Capitol, and this is the, the hands-free driving law. Okay, so we ha we've had it for what? Three years now, the two or three years oh, now, so that we've had it, mm -hmm. and uh, pretty successful. Although we're still having problems, the uh, the, the hand the bill HB one thirteen uh, would would increase the sign the, the fines like doubling them for so first offense fifty dollars would go to a hundred dollars, second offense two hundred dollars, and and then uh, three hundred dollars for a third offense. Um, there, so the the fight is over. Are we doing enough? Will the fines actually reduce things? Um, I don't know. And Donna, you and I met about a dozen years yes, ago working on Caleb's of, Law, which unfortunately right. a young man uh, killed himself texting while driving. And uh, we've gradually strengthened those laws, and we've saved hundreds of lives. I think 300 lives every year are saved by these laws. So um, I, I, I'm all for this. I, I know that the chairman doesn't like it, but um, I, I think we need – every day I drive into Atlanta, you see people texting and driving, it, it, even with the laws in place. Yeah, I can't imagine on, uh, you know, I don't drive highways to work um, because I live in town, but even in my neighborhood in beautiful downtown Oakhurst, mm -hmm. that's a hashtag, um, <laughs> hashtag Oakhurst, uh, I, I, almost every day I see someone, you know, cruising around with the, you know, phone there. And, you know, frankly, the, the chairman, this is Alan Powell, I believe, right? Yes. So he was, he and I were both around, we're old enough to have been around when they passed the bill saying you had to wear a seatbelt. No. And right. we had Speaker Murphy, who uh, who drove a truck, didn't want to wear a seatbelt. And he announced on the House floor during the debate, you know, I'm not going to wear a seatbelt. That's right. Um, so <laughs> he comes from that era. And, and, you know, that, I think, probably took a certain number of years for everyone to say, well, I'm going to wear my seatbelt. And I, I don't remember what, I don't know what the uh, fine is, but the fine's not that big. Yeah. Um, so it may be a question of uh, it's just going to take a long time to, and not maybe a long time, but it's, it's going to take, 
time for people to understand that you shouldn't be doing it. Well, I feel I think that some people have become more complacent about it. Like, you know, it's been a few years. Maybe I'll try it a little bit. Nobody's ever stopped me. I've never seen anybody stopped. And maybe they're at the point where the, you know, maybe just talking about it or trying to increase these fines might yeah, work. If you look at research now, fines necessarily by themselves don't necessarily deter the conduct. But at the same time, we may want to increase it. I would be very curious about what that is, what fines are going to be increased to, because it is a dangerous endeavor. But we also have to realize that, that uh, those fines do can be very problematic for people to pay. And so we do want to look at that, too. So I would just be curious about what how we're escalating the fines. But it is very dangerous conduct. So if we have to look at it, certainly we should do that. Let's just be very careful about how we try to structure the fine. And James, you talked about seatbelts. There's a seatbelt bill, too, for a seat, uh, getting people to back, wear their seatbelts yeah. in the back seat, which is people are fighting against it. I don't know. Well, I think there's a whole generation of kids, at least, that grew up with well, having to do say, that. I, thought, so. I, think, I, think, well, I think we might have even done a poll or something on this or seen a poll or reported on a poll that showed most people think that's the law anyway. Most people think that's the law anyway. It actually came up in committee yesterday, and I was on that committee, and I actually, um, we're still going to do some work on it. There's still some work to be done on it. One of the issues that I had with it was that it could be used um, to actually, when I asked the author of it, his explanation was it could be used to actually pull persons over. That becomes a little bit problematic for me as a, a former prosecutor. Okay, talk about that a little bit. What are, what are your what are your issues with it then? Well, because now we're talking about we're not talking about necessarily children anymore. We're talking about an adult in the back seat that now I'm responsible for, and if they don't have their seatbelt on, that then gives um, calls to be able to pull me over as a driver. I just I just very concerned whenever we start talking about interfering with persons in that so manner. For that reason only, they could put, pull you over. That's what That's you're saying. What the author, okay. That was his explanation. That, that was his feeling about it. So we need to look at that um, for something that, because remember, the way the bill is structured, the way it reads is, it's not a moving violation and it's not a criminal offense. And so my question was, well, would that give them the, a police opportunity on that alone to pull someone over and his answer was yes. I'm not even necessarily sure that's accurate. But if, if that's the case, then that becomes very problematic because if it's not a criminal offense and it's not a moving violation, how then are we using that as a primary reason to pull someone over? All right. So I just wanted to, I've got some of the information in front of me now. Uh, it would increase the fine from $15 to $75. Yes. Um, and the um, for kids Eight to seventeen who go unbuckled would rise from twenty-five dollars to one hundred twenty-five dollars. Right. That's those are significant that increases in the up, fines. Yes, and that also came up too about the fine structure. Once again, talking about that as far as the fines going up. All right, so we'll we'll see how that goes. With a lot of things dealing with what takes place in the cars, we're <laughs> going to have to take a break now, and then I want to talk with our lawmakers here about your individual bills that you've sponsored. This is Political Rewind. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Political Rewind. I'm Donna Lowry with GPB Lawmakers in for Bill Nygut and happy to have Representative Belton and Senator Jones and James Sulser with me right now. And I'm going to throw something out to you because we understand Ed Tarver is from your area yes. and he has now formally announced that he is going to run for Senate for the Kelly Leffler seat. And he um, he. He's, he's from your area. Any thoughts from on Augusta, this? Yes, he's from Augusta. He's from uh, Augusta. He actually is former state senator former state. that was in, in the seat that I hold now. Uh, I've know, known um, former Senator Tarver and former U.S. Attorney Tarver for many, many years. We actually, I was an intern with a federal judge, and he was a law clerk 
So this is a long time with the sense I've known him. Um, I think he's a great, great addition to the race. Obviously, you know, um, being from Augusta, we're supporting him and hopefully he can do well. I think his lane or path that he's looking at is by being former law enforcement in the U.S. Attorney's Office, by being a former Senate senator, by having those kind of two things merged together of experience and kind of being able to show that he can, quote unquote, work across the aisle and things of that nature. I think that's the path that he'll be kind of taking. And hopefully that's a path that the voters of Georgia will accept. Well, that, that race gets more interesting every day. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. So let's let's talk about law enforcement a little bit while we're, okay. we're talking to you. You filed a bill removing the statute of limitations on rape, yes. aggravated sodomy, and aggravated sexual battery. You do not want any statute of limitations at all on this. Correct. And it's not quite as, as, as expansive persons may think because we already do that in two areas. For instance, if you get the identity of a person from DNA, so you don't know who the person is, you get it through DNA, you're able to, that has no statute of limitations. If you're under 16 and you're a victim of rape or aggravated sodomy, that also has no statute of limitations. So then the question becomes, so if a person is 16 in a day, now they're they don't have the same credibility or they only have the 15 years. And I also want persons to understand this is not ex post facto. So it doesn't go back and get anybody uh, back in time. It will start today or when the bill is actually passed that there will be no statute of limitations. But when you start talking about rape, uh, aggravated sodomy, when you start talking about offenses like that, the, the trauma that it has, not only the victim, but the victim's family and things of that nature, is, is so great. Why are we putting this really arbitrary number and one of the questions for me was, okay, do we take it from 15 to 20 to 25 years? We're just making up numbers. If we really believe the impact is that great, which it is, then we should have no statute of limitations to that and allow persons to be able to come forward when they can. So, Senator Jones, so let me understand this. You're saying that previous crimes that have, would take pl- that have taken place would not be affected that's by correct, this at all. Right. So um, yeah, that's correct. That would be an ex post facto law. The, you cannot do that. What's the statute of limitations on 15 for, years. 15 years. Yes. Okay. Um, We're going to get back with you on your bills, but I want to get over to you, Representative Belton. You have a bill that will offer college loan forgiveness for teachers who teach in the turnaround schools. And what are there, about 100, 110? Turnaround and also the distantly rural schools, remotely rural schools. The the, the universe I have is about 232 schools in total. And it's hard to believe, but last year we had 3,112 teaching positions were not filled. That's almost 90,000 children not being served correctly. So I'm trying to fill those positions. By offering a little bonus uh, to do that, most states do this. Forty states have a, a, a provision like this. We're one of the few that don't. Yeah, and so college loan forgiveness, you go into school. Do you know how long would they I, I'm have asking to for teach five in these years. schools? Five years, right. which is when the average teacher, what is it? Um, 22%. 22% yeah. of all teachers, a fourth of all teachers essentially leave the profession after right. five years. So, And uh, the average Georgian who graduates from college has about $27,000 of debt. That's a, that's the average. So I'm offering, what I've tried to offer is $5,000 per year for five years would be 25000 yeah. And I see you shaking your head, James. You think this might work? Well, I mean, it's interesting. I think you also, if, I, if I'm not, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, don't you also have a bill or we're discussing a bill that would allow uh, veteran teachers who, to retire Return and to then work. come back, exactly which right. I think is another, I think it's a, a discussion, uh, an interesting discussion because um, particularly in rural areas, uh, the discussion was, well, what you know, we give these great teachers, and and um, they retire, and they can't co- they can't continue working, 
And so we're replacing somebody with 34 years or how many years with someone, if we can get someone, somebody right out of school or whatever, not that someone right out of school is not well prepared, but there's a big difference between um, the, the education you're probably getting from a 23-year-old or 24-year-old and someone who's been in the profession 34 years. I'm trying years. to go from both ends, uh, James. That's a good observation. You know, the teacher pipeline is shrinking. It just is. Uh, the economy is good. Less and less people want to be teachers. But I'm also saying, hey, we got these great teachers. These I call them super teachers. They've been around. And this, they can only return to work if the school board wants them. Right. So they can't just re- do that. It, 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 On it, their own. Yeah, on their own. they got to be good teachers. And what? They're 49 percenters. I mean, they, they – no, I'm, I'm saying they can come back full pay. You want them full time. pay. Yeah. Not, as so. long as the employer is going to play the employer and the employee TRS portion. So it's essentially a free teacher for the TRS because they've already paid for that teacher. But it's an amazing deal for the teacher because if the, right. if the teacher is getting paid, I don't know, $60,000 a year, um, if they've, if they've uh, worked 35 years – um, they're getting forty-two thousand uh, dollar pension, and they'll get the salary. So, I mean, if you, it's it's a great incentive to uh, continue uh, teaching. And I've, I've years ago there was an audit done. I forgot how many, but it's a pretty substantial number of teachers, thousands of teachers who are forty-nine percenters who do teach part time. So, um, you know, I I I don't I don't remember if there was any kind of estimate of how many there would if that they, would actually it, do what it. What we say is it, they have to stay out for one year. And therefore, the estimate goes down to zero. It costs right. zero dollars. Right. right. You but, know what? I, I talk to a lot of teachers who um, who are 49 percenters who would love to do right. do it more, right. to, to teach more. They, they, they feel like they had to retire, but right. they would love right. to come sure. back. So I, that's not your bill. It's your, my bill. Your bill. Yeah, you have right. that yeah. one and loan forgiveness. Yeah, okay. We'll be watching both, both of those. Knocking it out on education. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah. so, let's get back to you, um, uh, Senator Jones, a little bit. Uh, you also have a bill that would focus on trying to restore voting rights to people who have been convicted of crimes. Right. Victims of nonviolent felon, okay. felons. Um, so currently in Georgia, if you have a crime of moral turpitude, you're not able to vote. Um, if you're on probation or parole, this would not affect persons incarcerated. And so we don't define what moral turpitude is. So what the bill does is just list out the crimes that will qualify as moral turpitude. And it's similar to what Alabama has done, and it's also similar to what Mississippi has done. Both of them have passed these type of bills where we list out these are the crimes of moral turpitude. These are the crimes that would actually prevent you from voting. Alabama and Mississippi has passed similar legislation. Certainly if Alabama and Mississippi can do it, we can do that also. How many voters are we talking about as a possibility? It actually is only, and that's the key thing. It's not actually going to change an election when you really look at it. Um, When you... First of all, everyone's not going to vote. Everyone's not even going to register. But you're probably starting at a base of about 70-something thousand voters. Yeah. What kind of reaction are you getting? Um, you know, normally a lot of persons are saying, well, why should a person be able to vote? Well, here's the situation. We want a person to be a good citizen. We want them to pay taxes. We want them to get a job. We want them to get a GED. Part of being a good citizen is actually actually being an exercised right to vote. That all goes together. Right now, in courts in Georgia, judges are telling all defendants, go get a job, pay child support. But if that defendant then raises his hand and says, judge, I understand, I'm going to do all those things. You want me to be a good citizen, but can I vote? And the judge is going to say you can't, and that shouldn't be allowed. Okay. Representative Belton, I want to quickly talk about another bill you have that I just find interesting. Okay. The children who are entertainers, they are in the TV industry here, they're in the movie industry here, and they have a problem when it comes to school sometimes for being marked absent. 
Yeah, that's actually a Valencia Stovalls. Okay. I, I was I the second sign on that. her. Yeah. Exactly right. But yeah, she, she has a lot of uh, movie people down there because of the Tyler Perry situation. And so she's just trying to make it easier for those kids to, to get a, a good education. I just think that's interesting. I love I Valencia Stovall. She's, she's, <laughs> I think I had you both on Lawmakers Together, right? Exactly. That's right. Yeah. I'm going to have to have you back on. Okay, so let's let's talk about something real quick if we can get it in. Um, those who support Georgia's immigration workforce oppose Representative Singleton has a bill that it would effectively ban sanctuary cities. Okay, so House Bill 915 would allow law enforcement to detain undocumented workers and several local governments we know are have declared that they are sanctuary cities. Atlanta, Clarkston, DeKalb County as a whole. Um, uh, your thoughts on that bill? I, I don't know how cities Belton. can say they're sanctuary cities. I mean, it, it, there's a federal government out there. We had a civil war over this sort of issue, you know, about whether or not <laughs> states or, and cities could, could do their own laws, and we decided that they can't. But so. there's a dispute down here whether there is a who won that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, still, they're still deciding what yeah, right, 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 yeah, yeah, some people don't know. So you don't, you just don't believe that it's it's. I, I have not studied that bill a lot, but it it, just, it seems outrageous that cities and states can, are saying we're going to ignore the federal laws. It's just outrageous. So, it's always local to us. Not we Senator always refer to the local to we don't. You know, um, being a house bill, I've not had the opportunity to look at it, but I do think we should, on some levels, defer to our localities if they believe that that's what's in their best interest. But at the same time, of course, it does have broader ramifications. So I would like to look at it and see, because these are legitimate issues on both sides, quite frankly. So I'm not necessarily just saying, oh, you can just be a sanctuary, just do whatever you want. It is a legitimate state issue to talk about immigration. But I also say, we always talk about local till we don't. And if these cities believe what's in their local best interest, we ought to take a look at that and not just necessarily dismiss it. Yeah does focus on the local issue, doesn't it, right. James? Right, but you also, I mean, I, and I, I've often said, coming to legislature for 30 years, <laughs> people are for local control until they're not on issues. It was very similar. But on the other hand, it, it, is, a, it is a federal law. So no. you, you know, the, the state... The state can't just say, I mean, will they? I think they've tried sometimes, but they can't. They're not legally allowed to say, you know, well, we're not going to follow federal law. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the the... The debate on it, it's it's you're right. It's, it's local control on this issue, but are you? But you're going but against the federal given government. given in the local so, control. The federal right. government is not given right, access right, right, or authority right. for these sanctuary cities and states to exist. That's just, it's just outrageous. All right. Well, we'll see what happens with that. Before I let you guys go, I I thought we'd find out an estimate, a guess as to how long the legislative session is going to go. Now that we've we have the mid-year budget through. What are you thinking, James? June. No, I'm just kidding. June? No, it'll be before the primary. I know that. <laughs> oh, okay. You really think it'll be before March 24th? No, before the primary. Oh, the, not, no, not the no, presidential no. primary. Oh, yeah, the, no, the presidential primary. I, I mean, oh, I would guess, I would guess early April. Early I've April. heard an ugly rumor it may be after the Masters. It might be, and that's shocking. That's isn't shocking. It? That is shocking. Yeah. What do you think? I, I thought it was going to be around April the third, but that okay. would be very interesting if we go. What was it? April first last year. It yes. was April yeah. Fool's Day, but and then the Masters is what the ninth. You would know. It's, it's, it's going to be the first week in April, so it would be about the sixth, I believe, is when it would okay. come out. Well, we got to go. That will do it for Political Rewind today. I'd like to thank our guests, uh, James Seltzer, Senator Harold Jones, Representative Dave Belton, and Taifa Smith-Butler, who had to leave. And remember, if you missed any part of this show or you liked it so much you want to listen again, you can wa listen and go on a podcast. See ya. <laughs>